It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Happy to be with you through this pandemic period in our lives. We're hopefully we'll be talking on a regular basis about comebacks and hotspots instead of shutdowns and shelter in place. Trey Gowdy with us today. Trey Gowdy to talk about the Michael Flynn case, who is now exposed with the Russia investigation and where we go from here as we have a judge any day now is supposed to dismiss Michael Flynn. And then we hope to get him on a show like this to really talk about what he said to the FBI agents, what he thinks now. Also, Josh Holmes is going to be here. Josh is a former chief of staff to Senator Mitch McConnell. Man, I want to wind down what's happening politically. The Senate is not a layup for Republicans to retain. The House is not a layup for the Democrats to hold. And certainly Donald Trump, who I thought was probably going to uh, win uh, with re-election. I know it was going to be tough, but now he's got an uphill battle. What about the pandemic? Is it all going to be about that? And Joe Biden now has a big aide called Barack Obama. Also, we have a, 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 some other things. The vice president, who has a chief of staff spokesperson, test positive for the coronavirus. And the president of the United States had a valet test positive for the coronavirus. Will not quarantine, but Fauci will, as will Burks. Uh, she will. And we're going to see they're going to be effective, but they're not going to be in uh, shoulder to shoulder with the president. Director Redfield of the CDC also will, will quarantine themselves meaning Fauci will not go on Capitol Hill on Tuesday. So uh, the presidential briefing will be today at 5. The president, the vice president is going to be on a conference call with governors at 11. So before I take too much time away from you, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. China is using the exact techniques they've used to try to steal our most cutting-edge life science uh, knowledge to include coronavirus therapeutic drugs or vaccines. The medical field need to have their guard up against Chinese espionage. And the FBI and Homeland Security is already investigating a possible impingement on our vaccine progress. Do you believe this? China, the stakes at all-time high as both sides weigh in, keeping the trade deal in place as world outrage builds and evidence mounts that they set us, uh, they sat on information that could have saved tens of thousands of lives. And evidence is emerging. They are trying to steal our vaccine research. We're going to look, look at the best way forward. And what do you think? Number two. What they did with Mike Flynn was a absolutely classic perjury trap. It's a bad week for the Obama Justice Department because we're taking the covers off of what was some really awful conduct by prosecutors and investigators. Yes, uh, Chris Christie, man, he should be on Fox. Mike Flynn's future, the fallout and a look at the case. All sides weigh in with a fury, including the man who fired him in 2012, President Obama. Number one. So if we do this carefully, working with the governors, I don't think there's a considerable risk. I think there's a considerable risk of not reopening. You're talking about what would be permanent economic damage to the American public. I'm with you, Mr. Secretary of Treasury, ready to roll. 
why there is no choice for the country and the economy, the state of the states that have reopened and why some are not. But with PPP money just about to run out, we don't have enough time to wait as former President Obama weighs in on the Trump team's pandemic response and the Trump's predictably Trump predictably fires back. One thing about President Obama, he does not mention Trump's name. He just mentions the the administration's efforts been pathetic. He mentions uh, that the president, uh, Michael Flynn's exoneration, which I think is going to be official this week, is unprecedented, which, by the way, is wrong. But he does not mention Trump's name. But he says only when it, he will only go at the administration when it conflicts with his values. He is going to be running basically against Donald Trump. It is not going to be Joe Biden. Biden is shocked. He's a terrible candidate, terrible campaigner. He's got a terrible team. He's got no digital operation, yet he's winning in most battleground states as the president's in the middle of this fray. Uh, I think the president's response has been uneven. Some things have been really good. Some things haven't. And I just don't know if anything to compare it to. You can't compare it to Ebola in another continent. You can't compare it to the swine flu, which... uh, the chief of staff for Vice President Biden said we got extremely lucky with. I'm going to talk about opening up right now. And opening up right now, there's a lot of positive things happening in the state of the fight. Uh, for example, Alabama, a 10-person limited removed from uh, a 10-person limit on gatherings is removed. Arizona, restaurants and coffee shops may resume dine-in services. Got distancing there. Arkansas, restaurants may reopen. Cool. In Florida, you got uh, barbershops, hair salons, nail salons uh, may reopen as soon as today. And they're doing this thing called Northern Florida and Central Florida is different from Southern Florida. So they have different rules. Louisiana, next announcement will be May 11th. And Maine, fitness and exercise gyms open statewide. Retail stores in 12 counties open up. Now, how's it going in Georgia? Very well. Remember, even the president thought Brian Kemp was moving too fast. A Repub- the Republican announced Saturday the lowest numbers of coronavirus hospitalizations um, since they started keeping track. Kemp revealed that Saturday marked the lowest number of COVID-19 patients as well on ventilators. Today marks the lowest number of positive patients currently hospitalized. This is all good stuff, and this is all encouraging, and it's all necessary. We have to get back in the game and take the risk. And if you are an extreme risk, we're going to take care of you. So, states that are moving slow, Michigan. States that are moving slow, Illinois. States that are moving slow, New Jersey. Now, when I see things like Colorado, crowded bars and restaurants, that ruins it for everybody. What are you doing? Mother's Day, I get it. Going out to eat, I understand it. It's not any other year. When you go out there and your Democratic governor is pushing the envelope to get you open and stand you up, and you pack a restaurant and don't wear masks and don't keep your distance, you ruin it for the rest of the country. Now, for Mississippi in particular, uh, Tate Reeves is the governor. And he knows, um, he knows that opening up that state is tough, but they have no choice. Cut six. The decision that we made, understanding that there is risk associated with it, the decision we made is, is that there are 45,000 Mississippians who work in either barbershops or are regulated by the cosmetology board. 45,000 Mississippians. We've had 200,000 Mississippians lose their job over the last six months, so almost a quarter of them were in those two areas, and it was because their government shut them down. We know that we have to give them an opportunity to to earn a living, uh, to provide food for their family. And the way in which to do that is to give them strict guidelines. Yeah, and Steve Mnuchin, and they did. And if they don't adhere to it, break them up. 
I don't want the cops doing it. Now, if a crowded sports bar just uh, just circumvents the rules, the cops can go in there. I just don't want them in these terrible situations. But you got to break it up and separate it because it ruins it for, as I mentioned, it ruins it for the rest of the country, not just Colorado. So for the Secretary of Treasury, under blistering attacks from, from Chris Wallace, just basically says, yeah, I know there's risk. And I understand how serious it is. And I know it's even hit the White House. Cut one. If we do this carefully, working with the governors, I don't think there's a considerable risk. Matter of fact, I think there's a considerable risk of not reopening. You're talking about what would be permanent economic damage to the American public. Yeah, permanent economic damage. So what I'm going to do is I want to get you to weigh in because all the polls say I'm in the minority, that most of you want to take it slow. Uh, in the perfect world, I guess, if you're talking about everyone's on vacation, you want a lengthened vacation or Christmas break, fine. Now what I've seen, now with 30% of the country out of work, 30 million people out of work, I should say. So when we come back, I'm going to give more time to Trey Gowdy, so I'll take a short time out. Then I'm going to go inside politics with Josh Holmes. And then I'm going to be taking your calls at 1-866-408-7669. So we'll do all that. And as we leave for break, I want to get you ready to go. By listening to cut number 20, this is President Obama on a, I guess, a, uh, a Zoom call with his alumni, at the, you know, something like a conference call with his alumni, and he was talking about policies and how to help Joe Biden. And he said this about the Michael Flynn case. And as we go to break, we'll come back, we'll pick it up where we left off. Cut 20. The fact that there is no precedent that anybody can find for uh Someone who's been charged with perjury, uh, just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of stuff where you you begin to uh, get worried that basic, not just institutional norms, but uh, our basic understanding of, of rule of law uh, is 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 uh, is at risk. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. As I've now very carefully gone through all the documents that have been released from the House Intelligence Committee, from the Attorney General, and even some of the quotes that have been leaked by direct quotation, they were setting it up from the very beginning. I mean, they knew from the very beginning in Gecko there was no collusion with the Trump campaign and with the Russians. So what makes you think that, Katie McFarlane, former deputy to Michael Flynn, she was ousted, as was Flynn, and the, uh, the attack on the president's team uh, was just getting underway. With us right now is Trey Gowdy. He was there every step of the way until he decided to step out, but now he can talk freely. He's a Fox News contributor, former U.S. congressman from South Carolina. Trey, welcome back. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. I mean, you knew a lot of this testimony that we now have all have access to, at least 53 separate interviews. So do you believe early on, and what makes you think early on that KT was right, if you do think that, that they knew that there was no collusion there early? Well, Brian, I want you to analogize with the articles of impeachment. Remember, the House rushed to impeach Donald Trump, and then they sat on those impeachment articles for, what, three weeks? I mean, if you're an existential threat to the republic, you wouldn't wait for three weeks. Now, go back a couple of years. Uh, Devin was begging Adam Schiff, give me the witnesses you want us to call. Put the people on the committee so we can begin to do the interviews. And Adam would never do it. It was, I need more time. I need more time. The, the purpose all along, to me, was was to cast a cloud, a shadow, over the first couple of years of President Trump's uh, presidency. And, and the way you do that is by having an investigation. I mean, it can't end if it never starts. So, I mean, we had to literally start interviewing witnesses without any help at all from Adam Schiff. And of course, when you have uh, a, a, a willing and able ally, like the D.C. print media, um, they wanted this story to go on, too. So remember at the end, when we finally said, look, we spent a year and there's no evidence of collusion. Then Adam said, well, here are the 25 Russian names that we haven't talked to. I mean, he read some Dostoevsky novel and came up with 25 names and said, we still got to keep going. They, the purpose was to create a cloud, and unfortunately, they were successful. Did Michael Flynn make a mistake in saying that he did not, reportedly, that he did not speak to the Russians about sanctions. And if he did make the mistake, is that a crime? Uh, well, it, it, it depends. I mean, every factual misstatement is not, uh, is, is, first of all, it's not a lie. Um, I could really, really think today is Tuesday. I mean, I'm really, really wrong, but, but that, that's not a lie. There's no intent for me to deceive you. So let's just assume arguendo that he got something wrong. Um, Brian, I mean, take out Michael Flynn's name and put your name in there. 
Put, put, put United States of America versus Brian Kilmeade. The FBI is coming to talk to you, even though there's no ongoing criminal investigation, and there's really no counterintelligence investigation because they have no evidence whatsoever. I mean, with all the stuff going on in this country, with all the bank robberies, the carjackings, the kidnappings, you really want the upper echelon of the FBI sitting around trying to figure out a way to catch a guy who's not under investigation for a crime or for being an agent of Russia trying to catch him in a misrepresentation. I mean, is that really what you want the FBI doing? So you can make a misstatement to an F- every Sunday when an FBI agent asks me, did you enjoy the sermon? I tell a story to an FBI agent. I, 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 I go to church with him. I say, ah, oh, yeah, I did, even if I didn't. So every misstatement to an FBI agent is not a crime. Understood. So we don't have Flynn's side of the story because we haven't talked this. We haven't heard from Flynn in two years. You know, we saw him get blistered by that judge who today or tomorrow at some point has got to decide to dismiss the case. We think because there is no prosecutor, as you told us. And I was surprised that a, a, law, a former law professor who was once president, Barack Obama, weighed in on this. Cut 20. The fact that there is no precedent that anybody can find or uh, someone who's been charged with perjury uh, just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of stuff where you you begin to uh, get worried that basic, not just institutional norms, but uh, our basic understanding of of rule of law uh, is, is... so you have a basic understanding of the rule of law. The president says it's unprecedented. Can you put that in perspective, Trey? Yeah, I mean, honestly, he's too smart to say something that stupid. I mean, he just is. I mean, first of all, get the charge right, Professor. Get the charge right. It's not perjury. It's a false statement. It's a 1,001. This is the same president that actually pardoned people for lying to the government. This is the same president who issued more commutations of sentences in one day than any person who's ever walked on the planet has done. This is the same guy. Look. Comey and McCabe, they were, they were both under suspicion of making false statements. In fact, McCabe was under more of, than just a suspicion of making false statements. The same Bill Barr, the same Bill Barr that said we're not going to prosecute Michael Flynn, said we're not going to prosecute Jim Comey and Andy McCabe. So, so if President Obama is now all of a sudden interested in the rule of law, then tell Schiff to have hearings on FISA. Because Michael Horowitz was an Obama guy. That's who put him in at the inspector general. He's no Republican. So he finds all of these issues with FISA. Where is the president's concern for the respect to rule of law? And here's one more. Look, I know no one in D.C. likes talking about leaks. I know that. Only me. I like talking about leaks because it's a crime. It's a 10-year felony. Michael Flynn was actually the victim of a crime. There's no, there's no lawful reason for that transcript to wind up in the Washington Post. That was a crime, whoever leaked it to the reporter. Have you heard the president say one single word about respect for the rule of law and making sure that Michael Flynn's rights as a victim have been vindicated? Have you heard one word about that? I have not. Not word. Not word. Right. Uh, you're just your gut feeling. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Is this about Michael Flynn and the way he, him and the president clashed on the Iranian deal, on what ISIS not being a JV team, on the CENTCOM intelligence being changed by the time it got to the president's daily brief? Or is this just a guy that was in the way of... of uh, of the president, President Trump. I, I, I actually would pick option three. It was uh, when you have an FBI director who actually writes his own book, has his own set of mores uh, and ethics, and, and believes that he is a almost a one-person arbiter of what is good and fair and right. I mean, Comey is the one that sent these agents over to the White House. It was not President Obama. That was Jim Comey that did it. Comey is the one who is incapable of admitting that he was wrong. He Not with the Hillary Clinton investigation, not with releasing the letter in the fall of 2016, not with the way he handled Russia collusion, not with the dossier. Have you ever heard Jim Comey admit that he was wrong? Never. I can't take another second of him. I don't know how you dealt with him, uh, nor Peter Strzok. Trey Gowdy, always in education talking to you. Thanks so much. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's part of the reason why the response to this global crisis has been so anemic and spotty. And it would have been bad even with the best of governments. It has been an absolute chaotic disaster uh, when that uh, mindset of what's in it for me and to heck with everybody else when that mindset is operationalized uh, in our government. I don't even know what he's talking about. Um, What's in it for me, uh, I guess he he will not mention the president's name, President Trump's name, but that's Barack Obama on a call leaked to Yahoo News. I don't think he's too upset by it because it talked about how everyone's got to get invested for Joe Biden, how it's so much at stake, and how he's going to do everything he can to get him elected. So it's going to be Trump-Obama. And I'm very curious to see why why other people haven't just said it. I I don't even know if Joe Biden's going to speak last. I think when Barack Obama and Joe Biden are together, I think Biden says hello and Obama takes it the rest of the way. Being that he was a terrible primary candidate, and he's terrible now in his basement, he's terrible at friendly interviews, let alone the debate format. Josh Holmes joins us now, former chief of staff for uh, Senator Mitch McConnell and president and founder of Partner of Calvary, LLC. Hey, uh, Josh, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. No problem. So first off, do you think President, what do you, uh, president Obama's characterization of the President Trump's response, is it accurate? Well, I, I, like you, I don't even know what he's talking about. I mean, if, if ever there was a president who had an administration entirely dictated a, 
about what's in it for me. It was the Obama administration. Um, here's a guy who took absolutely no political risks uh, against his own party. He was largely trying to insulate his own power from the West Wing throughout eight years. I can't think of a crisis that they uh, actually confronted successfully. Um, you know, it, it, you hate to see it. And also, you know, the thing that really bothers me the most about this, Brian, is, is you see this sort of compassion you get from former presidents who decide that, you know, I've had my time in the sun. I want to I want to take a step back and allow my successor to operate without this sort of uh, looking over the shoulder criticism like George W. Bush has done so well since he left his administration. Obviously, Barack Obama doesn't doesn't believe that. And here I think he's he's trying to ride to the rescue of Joe Biden, who appears to be doing his best McKinley impersonation in the basement of his house. Well, yeah, I guess we're going to see. Now, the other thing is, pretty clearly, uh, he really is vested in this reelection, being that almost everything he did was undone by President Trump and how many judges the president put in place. Uh, he, the economy was rolling in a massive way, and he would like to get his legacy back and basically become the pseudo president. Do you agree with me that he is basically going to be running for president again? Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and I think the other backdrop that we got to focus on here is that all of a sudden we're getting more and more information about what his Department of Justice has been up to. And I, I have to imagine that there is some fear in Obama quarters, particularly amongst those who served in the Department of Justice, that a second uh, President Trump term may unmask a whole lot more about what we've come to know of the, the origins of this Russia investigation and the intent of an awful lot of high-ranking officials to try to sabotage the Trump administration from the, from the beginning. I mean, the thing is, Democrats aren't even paying attention to the Flynn, except for to say that uh, Barr's a bad guy for undoing the law for Trump. And that's just a, a very juvenile argument. But I'm looking at independents, undecideds, and Republicans that might be anti-Trumpers that could make a difference. When people say the president's tweets really make, seem to make more sense now, and if Michael Flynn comes out and speaks out, you could see how maybe people might pay attention that the Russian hoax is not just rhetoric. But I want to talk about what the president's going to be doing. Reportedly, this week, he's going to start getting a little bit more aggressive uh, with Biden. He uh, has been holding back because, obvious, the sensitivity of the situation. Why are you talking about politics when people are dying? Almost 80,000 now. But now they're giving details of how they're going to attack him. In Florida, they say they're going to talk about uh, Cuba. In Pennsylvania, they're going to talk about how Biden wants the new Green Deal and to destroy fracking. See, these are some of the things that are going to get uh, other people's attention. In the Midwest, they're going to bring up the fracking as well, and also Joe Biden's disastrous foreign policy decisions uh, when it goes to China. Do you like those three areas of attack? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think the one thing that's overshadowed by this sort of omnipresent personality of, of President Trump are the regional interests that people have in national elections. I mean, you mentioned fracking Cuba and South Florida, clearly a very big deal. Uh, I think foreign policy writ large with Joe Biden is very rich uh, territory for opposition research. He basically hadn't made a, a, a good decision or had a had a positive vote on that in 30 years. So I, I think you, there's a lot to work with on that, particularly with China. But again, I think as the as the Trump campaign begins to prosecute the argument, both on a regional basis and on a national basis, you're going to see a very different race than the one that we see now. I mean, we had 
the maturation of this race essentially stunted by the coronavirus. And, and you don't see the contrast that you typically see at this point in the election when a Democratic nominee is, is all but installed. And, and I think as we go along now, as we start to, to see the economy begin to reopen, Americans try to recover what's what's uh, left of, of their normal lives here uh, post-coronavirus, they're going to be asking more and more of these questions about, all right, so which of these candidates ultimately is, is going to help me get back on my feet? And there is an awful lot of good arguments as to why Joe Biden is not that candidate. Absolutely. Uh, Josh Holmes, former chief of staff for Senator Mitch McConnell. I mean, Joe Biden at 60, at 50 years old, wasn't that candidate. At 77, That's right. I mean, he's just been absolutely terrible. And it's nothing about his age. There are people that, I mean, I look at Bernie Sanders. I think he's older. And Sanders is, whether you think, I, I don't agree with anything Bernie Sanders has ever said, but there's nobody who thinks he's diminished. He looks like the same guy. Uh, I can't say that for Joe Biden, and it's not being biased against him because he's 77. It's just the way he acts and what he doesn't say. So the Washington Post did this story, and I don't think is inaccurate, that the GOP is uh, worried about losing the Senate. Uh, everybody seems to be in a tough fight. Uh, the states are worried about North Carolina, Arizona, and Iowa, where Democrats are heavily targeting this cycle. Uh, we do know, too, the GOP has many more seats uh, to hold on to. they got 53 overall. They're extremely worried about Cory Gardner. They're worried about, uh, and they're uh, very worried about Susan Collins more than ever. And in Kansas, they're worried that Chris Kobach is going to be the nominee because he was a failed uh, gubernatorial candidate and doesn't seem to have the widespread popularity. First off, on Colorado, Cory Gardner's in trouble. Well, the state is the most difficult state uh, in the union. Maybe maybe Maine shares that category, but the, but the state, in terms of its breakdown, Republicans and Democrats, Democrats have a significant advantage. I will say this for Cory Gardner. He's absolutely the best candidate in the field. And I think if there is any chance that he can swim upstream against partisan tide here, he'll get it done. This, this guy is extremely talented. He represents the state well. He may be one of the few incumbents over the last uh, six, eight weeks, who's actually done himself a whole lot of good amidst this, this pandemic, because I think a lot of Colorado voters have seen him just go to the woodshed and start working to try to get everything from masks and ventilators to to additional medical equipment and whatever they need in Colorado. So so I think he's going to be there in the long run. Uh, as for the rest of these states, look, anytime you have a presidential election, you ought to worry about the balance of, of both the House and the Senate, because you've got an awful lot of environmental, uh, uh, political environmental issues that you can't control on a, a local campaign basis. And Republicans have an awful lot more seats up here than Democrats do. And so it stands to reason that they're playing a, li- a little bit more defense. But there are also states like Alabama, for example, with Doug Jones, the sitting senator there that has been, you know, basically a, a, a operated as a left-wing ideologue in the state of Alabama uh, since he's been there. So I really like our chances to, to take that one back, which then gives you four to work with if if the president can hold on for his own reelection. And so I think it is going to be a battle. Uh, as of right now, I, I think I would give a, a slight edge towards Republicans in holding, but it's going to be a tough campaign all the way through. Yeah, I look at Steve Bullock, the uh, popular governor who's going to run for the Senate seat. I look at the Republican Steve Daines who's going to win that easily. Now that could be tough. Uh, Montana, so Montana would be tough. Kansas uh, will be a bit of a struggle, as I mentioned. So they say the yes. 35 seats are up in the Senate. Republicans are defending 23 of them. 
uh, and North Carolina, Tom Tillis, uh, as well as uh, Martha McSally in Colorado, excuse me, Arizona. So give me an idea about those races. Yeah, let me let me just start with Kansas for a minute. You saw in the early 2010s, Republicans have these malfunctions at the primary level where they're nominating people who you know ultimately can't win general elections. There's a lot of fear in Kansas this time around that Chris Kobach is that kind of candidate to re- resurrect those problems. Problems that, you know, you saw Roy Moore, for example, in Alabama deal with in, in 2017. Now, he's not Roy Moore by any stretch of the imagination, but he does have some unique challenges that ultimately lost the governor's race last uh, last cycle, which Republicans are extremely concerned about. And so there's there's a primary going on there uh, that people are going to be watching very, very closely for, for months. People tried to get Secretary of State Pompeo to take a look at the race. He's since that he's, he's not going to do that. I think if, uh, if there was ever a moment where he decided he wanted to do it, people would rush to his door with a bouquet of flowers to see if he would. But uh, but beyond that, I, I think, look, Iowa, Joni Ernst is very strong. I think the president's numbers are pretty strong there. Uh, North Carolina, Tom Tillis has done an excellent job here during coronavirus. That's going to be a tough race, as North Carolina always is. you got two in Georgia. Uh, Georgia, as you know, the registration advantages have, have diminished for Republicans, and it's it's more of a toss-up state. Still uh, a red state, no question about it, but something you want to watch in presidential elections. And then you got this kind of hodgepodge of other states out there that, like Maine, I mentioned, Arizona is another one. Um, you know, you've got to take a look at, at states like Texas and Kentucky, although they should be very, very red this time around. It's a presidential election and you can't overlook anything. So Republicans are certainly going to have to play an awful lot of, of, of defense here. And, you know, the one thing, Brian, that I, is most concerning to me as an analyst watching a lot of this is the significant fundraising gap between where Democrats are in these races and Republicans. They have, Democrats have raised just an awful lot more money across the board. And at some point, that is that is going to become an issue. Yeah, I'm sure it's uh, probably this point. Do you think your ex-boss is in trouble in Kentucky? No, you know, the one thing about Mitch McConnell is he always tends to admitting. Uh, he's, he's been running a pretty aggressive campaign here for, for over a year. Uh, but, you know, because he's Mitch McConnell, much like Donald Trump, uh, you know, he's the, the guy liberals love to go get. And so his opponent, you know, basically puts her name on a ballot and raises $13 million uh, just just by sitting there. I think she's raised 30 in the last nine months, which is just sort of eye popping from a fundraising standpoint. But but all that being said, you know, he, he's uh, he's in really good shape in terms of his numbers in Kentucky. I'm, I'm not worried about that one so much as I am about a lot of these other races that at this point, a flood of cash uh, could really make a big difference. Is the cash out there for Republicans? They just having a good job in raising it. Do you fault the uh, fault the RNC? No, not at all. I don't fault any of the committees. In fact, one of the things the Republicans uh, did this cycle was to try to make up that small dollar gap that had begin, begun to grow in 2006 and seven and had really become a huge problem by 2018. Uh, they created a, an online fundraising processing platform called WinRed that has put, you know, basically about $130 million so far into Republican coffers. But it's about 12 years behind where ActBlue, the Democrat version of this, is and, and they're just printing money on this. I, th- I think without WinRed, we'd be in serious conversation right now about whether Republicans can compete at all in the 2020 election. I, I think 
with this platform, it's allowed the president really to take the lead with with Leader McCarthy, Leader McConnell, and begin uh, to to reform a small dollar fundraising program that can give them the resources to compete. And it's, I mean, look, I could talk for two hours about how important that is and how different campaigns are run now than they used to be with those old sort of gold-plated chicken, rubber chicken dinners. It's just not the way it works anymore. And so Republicans have really had to, to figure out how to change the business model. I think they're doing that. And uh, I hope that gap can continue to close. Gotcha. Uh, uh, Josh Holmes, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Okay, uh, listen, uh, when we come back, uh, I'm going to take your phone calls. Also, I have a big announcement I'd like to share with you. Also, a special, uh, special welcome to KSWM AM 940, the news talk voice of the Ozarks. Now aboard the big Brian Kilmeade Show family. Thanks so much, guys. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Got an announcement tomorrow. Uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, comes out on paperback. I got brand new links between Sam Houston and Lincoln. I start with 1812, bring you to the Texas Revolution, and I end with Lincoln and Sam Houston. I think you're really going to like it. It's going to be a special on uh, Fox Nation. And go to BrianKillMe.com if you want it personalized and sent out for anything. Also, tomorrow night, I'm really excited. My first ever virtual event is going to be at Magic City Books. And they're going to be presenting the virtual, uh, this virtual event for me on Zoom. And when you click and you order, uh, you get it when you buy a ticket. It includes one paperback copy of Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and two links to the virtual event on Zoom. So it starts at 7 o'clock uh, Central Time. So I guess it's 8 o'clock my time. 7 o'clock uh, to 8.30. And special thanks to KRMG for setting it up over in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So Magic City Books. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Just click on events and you'll see a way to get a ticket. Uh, so that should be cool. Uh, and you could always go to uh, and find out where I'll be. I'm not traveling much with this, but I'll be doing a lot of stuff. Let you know if you love history. I think you'll love the new epilogue in the book. So let's get to the big three. I mean, let's get to more to know. What am I more to know. Jerry Stiller made his name for the last 60 years and being the funniest shows around, of course, with his wife, Mira. Uh, and now he has passed away at the age of 92. I haven't celebrated Festivus in years. What is your interest? Many Christmas ago, I went to buy a doll for my son. I reached for the last one they had, but so did another man. As I rained blows upon him, I realized there had to be another way. It was destroyed. But out of that, a new holiday was born. A festivus for the rest. Right, he's a very funny guy. Ben Stiller, also very famous. Next. Germany apologized after leading Israel off the map. Germany's defense minister responded, claiming that the error was a product of a software problem. Great. Next. Iran's woes continue. A missile strike of their own ship. They killed 19 of their own people, wounding 15. They are just a disaster. And meanwhile, lastly, Major League Baseball owners to propose 
an 80-game season. Under the owner's plan, players who report to training camp in June and start an abbreviated season in July. Teams would play regionally and minimize travel. Rosters would be expanded to account for the probable cancellation of minor league seasons. Fans would not be admitted, at least at the start. Sadly, the addendum to this is that the players and owners are going to war over compensation. They never get along. They lead the sports world in strikes. Can you be that tone deaf? Get it together, guys. Special thanks to the UFC for getting sports going and NASCAR for doing it again this weekend. Brian Kilmeade, an exciting week. So glad you're here. The comeback begins for America. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade Show, thanks so much for listening in. We're coming to you from uh, New York, but heard around America and, in fact, around the world. We get calls from uh, Canada and overseas, got calls from Israel. Uh, so it's always great to have you here, especially at such a consequential time in this country's history as we try to deal with this pandemic and are dealing with some numbers economically that are akin only to the depression back in the 1920s after World War I. The problem, the difference is, the depression we couldn't stop, we were victims of. We did this to ourselves because we're victims of a virus. We gotta stop the hiding, we gotta find a way to go back to work. Good news is it's working in Colorado, it is working in Georgia, it is working in Florida, and it's gotta start working here, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And we'll talk about that with Bill Rosado. Uh, Bill has five car dealerships, and he's been forced to deal with a very uh, tenuous, bizarre governor, Tom Wolf. We'll deal with that. And we also are going to have Michael Goodwin joining us shortly from the New York Post. So uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. China is using the exact techniques they've used to try to steal our most cutting-edge life science uh, knowledge to include coronavirus, therapeutic drugs or vaccines. The medical field need to have their guard up against Chinese espionage. China, the stakes are at an all-time high as both sides weigh in on keeping the trade deal in place. As world outrage builds and evidence mounts that they sat on information that could have saved tens of thousands of lives, and evidence is emerging right now. They are trying to steal our vaccine research. We're going to talk about the best way forward. Number two. What they did with Mike Flynn was a absolutely classic perjury trap. It's a bad week for the Obama Justice Department for we're taking the covers off of what was some really awful conduct by prosecutors and investigators. Chris Christie weighing in, former U.S. attorney. Mike Flynn's future, the fallout, and a look at the case on all sides as we weigh in with fury, including the man who fired him in 2012, is very angry. Says justice was not done. I'm talking about the name, President Obama. Number one. So if we do this carefully, working with the governors, I don't think there's a considerable risk. I think there's a considerable risk of not reopening. You're talking about what would be permanent economic damage to the American public. Wow. Uh, Steve Mnuchin, ready to roll. Why there's no choice for the country and the economy. The state of the states that have reopened and why some are not. 
But with PPP money just about to run out, we don't have enough time to wait as former President Obama weighs in again on the Trump team's pandemic response and Trump predictably responds back. Joining me now is Michael Goodwin. Two columns, Michael, stand out that you've written of late. Uh, Cuomo has admitted, uh, Governor Cuomo has admitted maybe it wasn't the best idea to send COVID positive patients back to nursing homes instead of to the ship or the Javits Center. And also I want to talk about the Flynn case. So pick up uh, on the, the admission it was a mistake yesterday. Uh, good morning, Brian. Well, um, he did reverse the policy, and no longer can nursing homes send uh, receive uh, COVID-positive patients from hospitals. But uh, Governor Cuomo never admits mistake, uh, does not regard the policy that he changed as an error. That's just the way he is. Uh, he, he can never be wrong. He's always got to be the smartest man in the room. And so he, he guts the policy, effectively reverses it, but doesn't admit it was wrong. If it was wrong, why change? If it wasn't wrong, why change it? Uh, but that's the kind of common logic that's not allowed in politics. And frankly, it's not just Cuomo. Uh, it, it's very rare these days to see a politician of either party admit mistakes. Uh, it's almost as though the, uh, you know, they know that everything will be on video, that their opponents can use it endlessly. It can be the butt of jokes. It can be the, uh, an opponent's advertisement. And so nobody ever admits a mistake anymore, even when they obviously concede the essence of it. Sorry about that. All right. Dog. So uh, and, the, and the, the bulk of uh, the bulk of the, the deaths in New York are the seniors and nursing homes yes. have been pounded not only just in New York, but around the country, on the ones that have taken care of their seniors, the numbers are low. So let's pivot, if we can, to another area, and that's the Michael Flynn case, which everybody on, on the left is saying is a travesty of justice that he is guilty, including Jerry Nadler. Uh, he, says, he said, Flynn pled guilty, Flynn pled guilty to lying to investigators. The evidence against him is overwhelming. Now a politicized DOJ is dropping the case. The decision to overrule the special counsels without precedent and warrants an immediate explanation. Is Nadler right or wrong? Well, he's wrong. Um, there was an explanation. Uh, the DOJ, uh, Attorney General Barr, released a document showing that exculpatory information that the FBI had was withheld from the defense. And not only that, that the, uh, uh, the document showing that they basically set a perjury trap tricked him into the interview. So, and I think, and I think Attorney General Barr explained this quite well, if Nadler and his ilk would ever live. Listen, but the point is you cannot take a case like that to trial because the, 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 no jury would ever convict anyone given the information that the FBI withheld, withheld it for years. Uh, and, then, and then the sentencing or the, uh, the, the admission of guilt was to something that he didn't do. He did not lie to them, as the FBI initially concluded. That would all come out in a trial. And as Barr said, there was no underlying crime here. You cannot be lying to the FBI about something that there's no crime underneath it. It's a process crime. They clearly did it just to target 
Flynn just to remove him from the White House and use him to try to get to President Trump. Uh, that's what Bob Mueller did. And I think that uh, this besmirches uh, finally Mueller's uh, entire caper here. The, the use of all those zealous Democrats, the get-Trump Democrats that made up his team. This was the end result. And I give Barr a lot of credit for standing up to this no, onslaught of he's criticism. He's a tough guy, and he is following the law as he sees gotcha. it. And that is his job. And he's not politicizing the Justice Department. He's depoliticizing the Obama Justice Department, which was as crooked as the day is long. Gotcha. Here's uh, Barack Obama weighing in on the Flynn case. And believe me, it's tortured. He puts one word together every minute. But he weighs in on the Flynn case, and he could not be more wrong in the premise. Cut 20. The fact that there is no precedent that anybody can find for someone who's been charged with perjury uh, just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of You can end it there. Yeah, he, he thinks that's the stuff that could make the rule of law collapse. There's a lot of problems with this. For example, here's Trey Gowdy. When he heard, when I played this for him, who knows the law, I'm sure you know. Honestly, he's too smart to say something that stupid. I mean, he just is. I mean, first of all, get the charge right, Professor. Get the charge right. It's not perjury. It's a false statement. It's a 1,001. This is the same president that actually pardoned people for lying to the government. This is the same president who issued more commutations of sentences in one day than any person who's ever walked on the planet has done. Your your witness. Well, not only that, as uh, Jonathan Turley points out, uh, that uh, Obama, they dropped the charges uh, in cases where prosecutorial misconduct was found, particularly the case of Ted Stevens, the dead Alaska senator, who after his death, it was discovered that the government withheld exculpatory evidence. That's the sort of thing that the Justice Department should do. It should err on the side of innocence. You are innocent until proven guilty. If there is no proof, if the evidence of your innocence was withheld in order to railroad your conviction, that's the sort of things we want our government to fix. We want to lean. We want to err on the side of the innocent. And for Barack Obama to say that, look, I think there's no question, in my mind at least, that this was all timed because of the fact that what is coming out, what is coming out with the testimony uh, uh, that were released by the House Intelligence Committee and what is coming out with, uh, from the Justice Department on the Flynn case, all of it points to Barack Obama's personal role in this spying of General Flynn and of the Trump campaign in 2016. And if I'm Barack Obama, I want to change the subject, too. I want to go on the attack. I want to make it about uh, the rule of law. I want to to speak to my uh, dear followers and tell them, go out and get the orange man. Go out and and preach that that pandemic uh, response was flawed. General Flynn was guilty of perjury. I'm going to say whatever I have to say to try to change the subject. And, gee, wouldn't you know it, Brian, that's exactly what's happening in the mainstream media. So we're back to fawning yeah. over Obama. Whatever he says is the news, I no know. matter what he does. 
and the one network that took him on uh, was vilified constantly by Barack Obama, who was too above it all, uh, unlike Donald Trump, who has everybody going at him 24 hours a day. So I want you to hear what Brian Stelter said on that note about the Michael Flynn case and how maybe people like us are handling it. Cut 22. It's so disappointing to look at what we're seeing from right-wing media these days where there's such an obsession with the deep state and these uh, revelations about the Russia probe and uh, the decision about Michael Flynn. They're treating the Michael Flynn story like it's a bigger deal than the deaths of 2,000 Americans a day. In what right mind is any scandal, any political scandal, any Department of Justice story more important to ask the president about than the pandemic that's raging? Well, he's talking about Fox and Friends because that was our first question out of the box was about uh, the Flynn case. Uh, but go ahead. Your, your thought about that? Did, I mean, that well, just shows uh, you the yeah, mindset that he has. Yeah, yeah no, Brian, once upon a time, uh, the left used to care about civil rights, used to care about the presumption of innocence, the rule of law, due process. Um, this is now the, the wing of America that wants uh, you to shut up and do as you're told, and that you must believe government, except when it's a Republican government, then, then dissent is patriotic. So, look, CNN, Brian Stelzer, they just want to flip the script. They want to get away from the Obama spied category. That, for them, is death, because it will, it will prove, and I, and I believe we're going to see it eventually. I believe we're going to see it all come out, and there will be no longer any doubt. Of course, Barr will be attacked for releasing it. If, if Durham were to indict any of these people, he'll be attacked for doing that by the Brian Stelters of the world, because they're like college kids. They want to veto your speech. They want to veto your view of it. Uh, it, cannot be, it cannot be tolerated that you disagree with them. Therefore, you must be silent. That's how college kids act, and that's how CNN acts when, when the story is not what, the, what they want the story to be for their own partisan Gotcha. All right. Thanks so much, Michael Goodwin of the New York Post. Appreciate it. And Fox News uh, contributor. My pleasure. We'll see Brian. what happens Thank next. You. All right. When we come back, uh, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Also exciting because uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, now out on paperback today, uh, tomorrow. And it's going to include an addendum with Lincoln and Houston and how their, what their interaction led to. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I was a U.S. attorney and worked with FBI agents. And what they did with Mike Flynn was a absolutely classic perjury trap. And then this week as well, and one that involved me and my former team, the Supreme Court rejected nine to nothing, a false prosecution that was brought by the Obama Justice Department and a vindictive prosecutor, um, politically motivated, against, uh, against folks who worked for me when I was governor of New Jersey. You know, it's a bad week for the Obama Justice Department because we're taking the covers off of what was some really awful conduct by prosecutors and investigators. Absolutely. And it's going to get worse as more and more exposed. Without spin, just read it yourself. Uh, because I know some people don't like Trump. Trump some, some people think Trump walks on water. Just when this stuff comes out, 
just read it and tell me if you think James Clapper, if you think Susan Rice, if you think that uh, uh, all these Obama officials were uh, telling the truth when they said they could not find any collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign. I know they were. And I know they couldn't collude with themselves, let alone another country. A uh, quick other thing we're talking about is how many people are out of work and how many states have to stand up. In Georgia, it's going well. Brian Kemp has been proven right. In Colorado, I'm embarrassed by that horrible uh, scene in that crowded restaurant. These people are ignoring the masks, ignoring the distancing. That'll blow it for the entire country. But for the most part, their Democratic governor, who's visiting the White House today, uh, is doing a real good job getting that point across. And a lot of you are emailing about this. Uh, Debbie writes me and says, with... Uh, now at 22 million seeking unemployment, the extra cost promises over 13 billion per week of 52 billion per month above their regular benefits. In my rural area, no one makes 600 dollars per week. This is a huge money problem. And this brings us to the other area. People are saying, I'm not going back to work for you with the Paycheck Protection Program because I'm getting more money not to work for you because unemployment's been made um, so attractive. I know. Nobody wants to be unemployed, but also nobody wants to take a hit to take a job they don't have to appear into. Meanwhile, things are going well in many, many states. Pennsylvania, especially in states, it doesn't matter. They're extending to June 6th. Virginia, pretty much the same thing. They are torturing their people. Instead of doing the hard work of walking from Main Street to Main Street, from town to town, telling them what they need to do and letting them get up. Listen to Governor Cuomo. We know New York's the epicenter, but even he admitted there are some good signs out there. Cut eight. Today is day 71. With a question mark. The number of hospitalizations today, down. Great news. Number of intubations, down. That's great news. The new COVID cases, which is a different problem than the number of people who are in hospitals. This is how many new cases are showing up every day, which has been uh, still very high. is down to 521, and that is down. 521 takes us right back to where we started this hellish journey. So they are getting cases, but they're all testing more and more. That means just stands to reason you're going to get more cases. But we're not using the ventilators. Thankfully, don't need them. Not using the hospitals. People are testing positive and they seem to be doing the right thing. But we don't really have a choice either way. We have to get back to work smartly. Uh, let's take a look at uh, Ryan's listen on WABC in Pearl River, New York. Hey, Ryan. Okay, hey, you got a great show, Brian. Uh, you know, in New York, I mean, I know they're going after Cuomo like a pit bull in a meat locker, but we got the guy on the other side of the Hudson, Murphy, who's kind of flying under the radar. He's just, they're Xerox copies. Murphy's just as bad. He's got to take the heat. The guy out in California probably wants to lock the state down forever. Newsom, people should remember, Newsom was also the uh, mayor of San Francisco, and he had the policy where he let the urban campus go to the bathroom in the street. That's really good you yeah. know, if you're an average person walking around. But the thing is, I, I've always said this, Trump made the biggest mistake, the biggest folly of his, mis- of, his, of his presidency was he didn't go after the illegal immigration right away. He went after the Pillsbury dumpling over in North Korea. I mean, that was probably set up by the Republican establishment. And then that's how he lost the House. And this whole thing, that like going after him nonstop. He has to realize that the media is not going to go with him. He's got to address the illegal immigration issue, hey, the Ryan. jobs issue. All right. Well, we'll hold it there, Ryan. I get it. He did go after illegal immigration right away. Remember, he started getting the wall done. He got stopped. 
With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The decision that we made, understanding that there is risk associated with it, the decision we made is is that there are 45,000 Mississippians who work in either barbershops or are regulated by the cosmetology board. 45,000 Mississippians. We've had 200,000 Mississippians lose their job over the last six months, so almost a quarter of them were in those two areas, and it was because their government shut them down. We know that we have to give them an opportunity to to earn a living, uh, to provide food for their family. And the way in which to do that is to give them strict guidelines. And that's was the governor of Mississippi. And he was getting some criticism that some numbers are going up, but they're still small. So look, I want to give these people a chance to get their businesses going. And I'll help them out with the rules. We're all in this together, but don't pretend like we're all in this together. And at the same time, you make the rules and tell me I have to sit on the sidelines still and I lose my business while we're all in this together. Uh, this week, General Motors, Ford, and Fiat, uh, all uh, Ford, uh, Fiat, Chrysler, I hate even saying that, have said they intend to start production May 18th. Toyota expects to open up plants May 11th. Mercedes has already resumed operations in sport utility. Tesla is so angry at California, they are going to be pulling their automobile uh, manufacturing plant out of that state and going to Texas or Nevada. Also, Alabama, 10-person uh, uh, limit on get-togethers is now removed. Arizona, restaurants, coffee shops are open. Arkansas, restaurants may reopen for dine-in services, 33% capacity. Florida, uh, barbershops are open. Uh, hair salons, nail salons are open. They're way, well past phase one. Uh, Kentucky uh, may resume manufacturing, distribution, supply chain businesses, and construction. So it's going to be an exciting week. More and more people are opening up. I understand you've got to be careful and some are nervous, but you've got to work through it. There is just no other way. But the frustration is with the people of Michigan, the frustration with the people of New Jersey, the frustration is with people of Pennsylvania, and to a degree of Ohio, Republican Governor Mike DeWine cut four. Well, it's really uh, a risk no matter what we do. It's a risk if we don't do anything. It's a risk if we, if we do this. Um, what we have done is come up with the best practices uh, for businesses to reopen. I look at kind of a 21-day rule. We are really at a plateau with hospitalizations. We are at a plateau with deaths. We are at a plateau uh, in regard to new cases. So they do go up and down. Uh, We wish we were going down. Uh, We're not. But you are going down. You're at a plateau. You bent the curve. Now give the people of Ohio and various places that are not afflicted a chance to go play. I mean, I'll give you an example. The The biggest example is golf. I can golf. Of course you should be golfing. I think you should be using a cart. If you can afford it, one person to cart. One in the back, one in the front. I, that, to me, is fine. Okay? Diagonal. Does that work? Yeah, probably works. Number two is because people have hip replacements or a little bit older who love golf, can't walk 18 holes or even three or four. So next, why aren't you playing tennis? You can't play tennis. You're socially distant by the rules of the game. You should be able to play tennis. I played you uh, Cuomo already. Now, some people are upset by what's going on, that we're moving ahead with this. Jeffrey Shaman from Columbia University, who's on Meet the Press, 
He says there's a little bit too much uncertainty to open with great numbers. Cut nine. Governors can open and say businesses are open, but it doesn't mean that all restaurants and businesses will open. And it also doesn't mean that the public will actually frequent those businesses. As you quoted, 68 percent of the public is really concerned about this virus and considers that a greater priority than the economy. So many people actually won't go out and use them to the degree they did pre-pandemic. As a result of all these uncertainties, it's very difficult to know what's going to happen, how that's actually going to affect the transmission dynamics of the virus. We'll see. Uh, work on it. Get the scientists working. Let us work, period. And listen on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Ann, you're talking about the other area uh, of our focus today, and that is the justice of the Russia investigation of the Michael Flynn situation. Yes, Brian, thank you so much for taking my phone call. You are doing such a phenomenal job. I have to say this. Brian, thank you, you really, really are on every single level. I'm so proud of you. Now, you remember that saying, the wheels of justice turn slowly, but grind exceedingly fine. And yep. that is what is going to take place. It took a while. You know, we're all wondering, you know, when are these people going to be held accountable? But, you know, with all these reports coming out and, you know, people being exposed, Rice, Powers, Clapper, Lynch, and the rest of them, McCabe, these are all top Obama administration officials. They all said themselves that they see no empirical evidence ever and, you know, of, of the Trump colluding with Russia. This investigation, the investigations that took place should never have started to begin with. They should have been stopped. But yet we allow these investigations to go on. Trump has been assaulted. He's been slandered and besmirched from the beginning, Brian. It's disgusting. And I'm so glad that the wheels of justice are finally, finally turning. And we're going to see accountability. We really, truly are. And thank you, Brian, for the job that you're doing. You're doing such an amazing job. You know, you know, thank you so much, uh, Ann. But I will say this. You know who's going to be the best advocate? Because I got a chance to know him. And if you watch Fox or listen to this show two years ago, Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn is extremely articulate, very smart, extremely experienced, and he's been having to keep his powder dry for over two years. He is watching everybody talk about him and watch the other channels tee off on him and his character. And I cannot wait. I wish, they, I hope that Nadler and company invite Barr to defend this. And I pray that they bring Michael Flynn in front of Adam Schiff's committee to defend himself. They will be, they'll be torn up alive. Here's Andy McCarthy on President Obama coming out and saying he's never seen in his life someone brought up on perjury charges having it dismissed. Cut 25. This is what drives you crazy about, you know, President Obama pontificating about the rule of law. One of the last official acts that Obama did was to pardon an FALN terrorist to spring him from federal prison. So in Obama's world, it's okay to obstruct the Fast and Furious investigation in which an American agent died because of the way the Justice Department and its agencies ran that investigation. It's okay to obstruct the IRS abuse of Americans who were trying to uh, marshal themselves together for purposes of uh, the election in 2012 against Obama. And you spring a convicted terrorist, but you have to press ahead with the case against a decorated American combat veteran Amazing. against whom they don't have a case. 
So Andy McCarthy is not some right-wing guy. I mean, he'll take on Trump all the time. He wrote a book about this. He was also leading on the Ukrainian situation. And he owned about Michael Flynn. And when this happens, this is the guy you want to break it down. Trey Gowdy is also uh, really good, too. I want to get to some phone calls, too, uh, about what's happening with Michael Flynn, the Russia situation, which your president is tweeting a lot about, the pandemic. You know, Anthony Fauci will not be working from the White House. He'll be working from home now. He will not be going in front of Congress on Tuesday, the Senate, uh, working from home. I'm not too sure. Uh, the director of the CDC also, because the West Wing has been hit pretty hard between the Secret Service, between the... Uh, vice president's uh, press secretary between the president's valet. There's a lot of coronavirus positives out there. And I got one of these emails, which BrianKillMe.com, Mary writes me and says, Hey, Brian, from the safety of your home, I hear you champion opening businesses and urging them to go the proper way. Why don't you hit Main Street and urge them directly? Are you going to go to a salon or restaurant, film it, and all the way all the Fox folks will follow you? Put some action behind your words. Mary, I would love to. But right now, nobody's allowed to open. If I brought my camera to the, some of the places that are open, like the dry cleaner that shouldn't be, I will get them in trouble. But I would go to a restaurant today at lunch if I could get lunch off. I would go to, uh, I would go to Dick's Sporting Goods right now. I would go to a clothing store yesterday. Neiman Marcus, out of business. J. Crew out of business. Count, read the Wall Street Journal today. Countless manufacturing companies out of business. And it's just lazy politicians who don't want to walk down Main Street. They want to look at stats and say, not ready. Go ahead. You go in Nassau and Suffolk County. You see the numbers declining. You walk around to these little towns and the big towns. Get a sense of what's going on. Meet with shopkeepers. Have them get together at a certain time. Buzz 10, 12 or 13 different towns in an afternoon. Get them all together, Chamber of Commerce. Tell them what needs to be done. Help them out when it would need be. But it's not money. It's tape on the floor. It's masks that are now available. Andy, listen on the Fox News Radio app in Otisville, New York. Hey, Andy. Hey, good morning, Brian. Love the show. So a couple of things. Thank Finally, you. Michael Flynn will get some justice out of this with, uh, with uh, Bill Hope Barr so. at the helm there. And then... Uh, Number two, we should be opening up. There's no reason why we as intelligent free citizens can't manage our own risk. And three, I'm an ER nurse. I work in an ER, and uh, my ER is in the middle of a of a like a urban. Uh, I mean, uh, an urban center, and we're, our volume is down so much that they're furloughing ER nurses because everybody's wow. afraid to come to the hospital because of it. Now, I also own a small business, a maintenance company, and thank God that hasn't been affected. And so I'm working both as a nurse and in my company. But there's no reason that we can't intelligently start doing things. In, and I'm up in the Hudson Valley here, and uh, pe- people are going under. There's small businesses that are just dying off. They're, they're dying on the vine because of uh, the, way they're, they're, uh, the way that they're holding us back. Andy, thanks so much. You're echoing me, especially in the upstate New York area. Leave them alone. Let Syracuse, Buffalo, Rochester, let them go. You, the mayors and, and the councilmen, they know uh, what their region needs. And if it becomes a hot spot, we'll surge people in. We'll learn the lessons and move on. I got to tell you, uh, and I'm going to take a break right now and get a real world sense of somebody who owns five dealerships in Pennsylvania has been absolutely hamstrung by this crazy governor there. This editorial in the Chicago Tribune talks about uh, J.K. Uh, uh, Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, 
Chicago's bad. The rest of the state isn't. The Chicago Tribune called his plan about reopening cautious to the extreme, noting that it bans reopening schools, barbershops, salons, gyms, bars, restaurants, and then with capacity restrictions only after the advent of a vaccine, herd immunity, or effectively and widely available treatment. You're never going to go to school. You will never open up a gym. The PPP money would all be wasted if he continues to string this out. You only have the latest June or all that money that we gave people to keep their people employed and get their rent paid is all for naught. They're going to go belly up and our money's gone and their livelihoods is through. They stay on the payrolls. Lose, lose, lose. When we come back, how to do it right. Brian Kilmeade Show. Your calls and more in just a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. What we're trying to do with all the data we have is figure out the most likely way to keep people safe. The stay-at-home order is for another month in those areas that that have not moved to to yellow. Uh, And that was Governor Tom Wolf stunning everybody, most people, and saying, I'm moving the stay-at-home until June. Bill Rosado is the owner of five dealerships in Pennsylvania and joins us now. He's uh, with the or founded the Rosado Auto Group. Bill, welcome. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. Bill, I imagine you're really upset. How many dealerships do you have? How long have you been in business, and how have you been affected? I've been in business for about 31 years, Brian. Uh, I have five dealerships currently uh, in, in, in different counties, all in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. All right. In those dealerships, how many are up and running? Well, when the when we went to lockdown originally, we were able to apply for waivers, and we were granted two waivers of uh, five dealerships, one in uh, Broadhusville, uh, Pennsylvania, which is a Chevrolet dealership, and also uh, Milford, Pennsylvania, Milford Chrysler Sales was granted a waiver. So we've been operating um, under, the, under the permission of the, the waiver. All right. So how's it, how about the, the ones that are operating? How's that going? Well, to be honest with you, it has been difficult all the way around. Uh, this lockdown has affected everybody. Uh, like I said, we were blessed to have those two dealerships open. Our service departments have been open. And it wasn't until a, a couple of weeks ago where they opened up for uh, online selling to all the dealerships. Uh, that has made a difference, but very, very small difference. Brian, we are talking about being down from this time last year, March and April. We're probably down about 60% of our business, which is considerable. Uh, when, you know, taking into account the fact that the car business spins such a big economy, we, uh, we contribute a tremendous amount of sales tax for the, uh, for the state. Uh, but aside from that, we employ a lot of people, Ryan, and uh, this has been an absolute nightmare. Have you gotten the PPP loan? Has that helped? It has helped. It has helped. Um, the, um, I, again, when, my being my purpose of communicating with you being out here in the uh, in the open is not really to criticize anybody per se, but I think some data, some information has to be passed on. Um, and that as much as it has helped us, it has. But some of the restrictions are making things quite difficult, uh, at least in my business. Um, but we'll work through them. We will work through them. I think it was, it was a, a very, very good um, um, foot forward that the president and uh, the administration put in to, to help us out. 
uh, to try to get get through do, this. Do, do you believe you should be able to open now? Do you believe you can do this knowing we have uh, this virus out there? Brian, I, I have to tell you, um, when we were granted a waiver, I did not know that it was volunteered to kind of be a canary in a way. Uh, we've been open in Milford, Pennsylvania. Now, Milford, Pennsylvania, it's a small town in the Pocono Mountains in Pike County that sits next to New York, New Jersey. And Pennsylvania all come together in the same place. We've been able to operate. Of course, we took all the precautions. We follow all the instructions given to us by the administration, like plexiglass and face masks. And we have been very, very blessed, and no one's gotten sick. And I, I just want to pass this information on to the uh, to our governor. If you can operate a car dealership in Milford, Pennsylvania, which probably would be one of the towns that you wouldn't want to open because the border is such a dangerous um, uh, um, section of the epidemic, um, uh, the, 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 the bacteria that is hurting us so bad, we could do this throughout the state. We need to get back to business. I understand the first month how difficult it was, but listen, I just want to be a help. I know these are tough decisions, but I, I really, but, I can only speak for our business, and we need to get open. Bill, everybody needs to be open. Not you. If you could do a food store, you can do a sporting goods store. If you can play golf, you can play tennis. You know, you, if you, this is ridiculous at this point. And that, that must have been a body blow when Governor Wolf comes out and says, you, the other dealership's got to stay closed. And what about the small card and gift shop and the dry cleaner and the restaurants all on the shelf for another month? They're not going to be able to exist. You know, Ryan, that's the most difficult part of it. We can open tomorrow as a car dealership, but what difference is it going to make if nothing else is open? Our client base is suffering so tremendously. You have very small businesses that are not equipped to hang in there for two, three months like this. And I know the government has done everything they can, but there is no better way for an American to uh, the, the American economy to get moving to let American people what they know how to do best, which is work very hard. Nobody is forcing anybody to do anything. Just give us a chance to save ourselves. I don't want to sit there and watch a car accident go by and take my life. That's what's happening the longer they wait. I don't think they're getting a message, but hopefully they're hearing you. Bill Rosado, uh, the, the Rosado Auto Group. If you need a car, go to Bill and keep his business alive, just like we got to keep everybody's business alive. Thanks, Bill. Brian, thank you very much. You got it. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, available on paperback tomorrow. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. It's going to be a big week. I like it uh, this week in the the middle of a pandemic. It's it's been hard trying to find a bright side. But the bright side is the excitement we have as people start getting their businesses and lives back, the ones that can. Sadly, I'm reading the Wall Street Journal today and how many manufacturing companies just not coming back uh, to this country. They're folding up for good from North Carolina uh, on down. And, you know, they're just they're not seeing the benefit. Uh, They're not seeing the benefit of coming back at all. So that's pretty sad, and we're going to be uh, discussing some of that today. Also, the President of the United States got hit. Uh, the West Wing really got hit on Friday when it found out the Chief of Staff, excuse me, the Communications Director for the Vice President, 
tested positive for the coronavirus. The president's valet tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, about four or five Secret Service tested positive for the coronavirus. And because of contact uh, into a form of quarantine goes uh, Anthony Fauci, uh, Dr. Burke, uh, CDC director, all are out. So they'll be in communication, they'll be doing their work, but they're going to be doing it from home, just like you or I. But the president is getting blowback on what is symbolism. He doesn't want to be seen wearing a mask and create uh, an international incident. It would be setting a good example on one hand, I get it. But the other hand is uh, the president gets tested every day, everyone around him gets tested every day. That's how they found out what was happening uh, with those two individuals. So that's, uh, that's what's happening on this hour. We're going to be joined by Adam Goodman. He's a uh, Republican strategist and now a professor over at Tufts. And Brett Baer, at the bottom of the hour, will be talking about, so in the Washington Post today, say Republicans are really worried about losing the Senate. And there's a, another major story about the Republican, uh, the Trump administration's got their strategy that they're going to unveil this week, uh, finally going after Joe Biden. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. China is using the exact techniques they've used to try to steal our most cutting-edge life science uh, knowledge to include coronavirus, therapeutic drugs or vaccines. The medical field need to have their guard up against Chinese espionage. No kidding. Uh, they are not only trying to steal what they've, uh, our equipment uh, just to take it, they're trying to steal our intellectual property when it comes to the vaccines. The stakes are at all-time high as both sides keep weighing in on whether they should keep the trade deal going between the U.S. and China and evidence emerging that China steal our vaccine research. We'll look forward to different ways to stop it. Number two. What they did with Mike Flynn was a absolutely classic perjury trap. It's a bad week for the Obama Justice Department because we're taking the covers off of what was some really awful conduct by prosecutors and investigators. Uh, that is... Chris Christie, former U.S. attorney turned governor, now commentator. Mike Flynn's future, the fallout and a look at his case as all sides weigh in with a fury, including the man who fired him in 2012, President Obama. Number one. So if we do this carefully, working with the governors, I don't think there's a considerable risk. I think there's a considerable risk of not reopening. You're talking about what would be permanent economic damage to the American public. Yes. Ready to roll. Why, why there is no choice for the country and the economy. The state of the states have reopened and why some are not. But with PPP money just about to run out, we don't have a choice. There's no time to wait. Or we've thrown all that money in the street and the businesses are still going to collapse. As former President Obama weighs in on the Trump team's pandemic response and Trump particularly roars back. So the President Obama doesn't like the, uh, doesn't like the response on the pandemic side. Uh, of uh, the president, uh, the current president, says it has not been good. Here he is, cut 13. It's part of the reason why the response to this global crisis has been so anemic and spotty. And it would have been bad even with the best of governments. It has been an absolute chaotic disaster uh, when that uh, mindset of what's in it for me and to heck with everybody else when that mindset is operationalized uh, in our government. What are you talking about? What's in it for me? I don't even, he's got so much, to, there's so many things to criticize the president would sound familiar. I don't know what that is. What's in it for me? Larry Kudlow responded on the Sunday show, Cut 14. 
with all due respect to the former president, and I, I really don't want to get into a political back and forth here. I, I just I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, with all the assistance we've done, with all the infrastructure that we, the uh, Trump administration, working with governors and mayors uh, and with Congress, uh, with respect to testing, with respect to uh, all manner of you know, PPE, medical equipment, uh, with respect to ventilators. Uh, look, Larry Kudlow is, is one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. He does not want to get into that. I mean, that's not what he's, what he's hired to do. But when you go at him directly and say, the, you know, your, your response to the virus is terrible, you know you're going to get some blowback. But though his, his critique is weird. So just going to tell you, now, some of you out in there and say, Brian, you're crazy. Why are you pushing people to go back to work? I'm not pushing people. I'm, I, want give, I want them to have the opportunity to go back to work. But here's why we might not have a choice. If you have a pre-existing condition, if you're older, don't, if you don't feel like you can. But as I'm reading this in the Wall Street Journal front page, factory, factory furloughs across the U.S. are becoming permanent and closing is a sign of the heavy damage is being done. Uh, for example, in Michigan, among the companies closing factories in recent weeks, Caterpillar says it's considering closing plants in Germany. Boat and motorcycle maker Polaris uh, plans to close a plant in Syracuse, Indiana. And tire maker Goodyear uh, plans to close a plant in Alabama. Uh, those factory shuts down will further erode an industry that's already been beat up pretty bad. Michigan Maple Block Company furloughed most of its 56 workers. A month later, the manufacturer on cutting boards and industrial tabletops told employees to close for good. A second factory in Pennsylvania will remain open because of cheaper energy costs. Uh, so that's good. The hardest hit uh, they've ever been, but they said they're going to deal with it. The closure suggested a growing share of record job losses in recent weeks won't be temporary, are going to be permanent. That, according to Gabriel Ehrlich of the University of Michigan. So the layoffs and the PPP money are not doing anything because they feel demand is down, let alone the oil and gas because nothing's happening and no one's using anything, let alone the hospitals because they're only one-trick ponies, they're coronavirus or nothing at all. So that's why you have to reopen. The money has to start coming in to even finance the research that we see. So far, uh, we do know within the administration there's a little bit of frustration, according to the Washington Post. The Vice President Pence, who oversees the coronavirus task force, at least one of them, he's grown frustrated with Alex Azar, Health and Human Services Secretary, because remdesivir is supposed to be going to six states primarily. It's not going on at all. They said they're going to get it going soon. Then I see behind the scenes some, uh, some friction between Dr. Burks and the CDC. A task, force, uh, a task force meeting Wednesday, reportedly, a heated discussion broke out between Bricks, uh, Burks, the physician who oversees everything, and Robert Redfield. And one of her quotes is kind of scary. It says, there is nothing from the CDC that I can trust. Are you kidding? Guys, it's present. You got to get into that. These guys are going at each other. They need to be fixing everything, uh, uh, as in yesterday, fixing everything. In terms of where the virus is at, we see it going down in a lot of places, especially a place which we thought and we worried there'd be a spike because we had a governor in Georgia that decided, Brian Kemp, that he's opened almost everything up. And he did it with limited capacity, but he did it. Say, as he announced, today marked, this is his quote, the lowest number of COVID-19 positive currently hospitalized ever since they started doing it, down to 1,203. 1, That's uh, the lowest number 
uh, since April 8th. Today also marks the lowest day on ventilators, 897. They got 1,945 that are available. And uh, they said they're going to win this fight together, and they feel pretty good about it. That is with 60,000 people coming from neighboring states into Georgia because they were the first to open up. And they still feel like they're getting places. They still feel like there's some progress. Um, in terms of progress, I got to salute Mississippi's governor, Tate Reeves. Cut seven. The reason I, I'm continuing to plead with my constituents, with my fellow Mississippians, is because I believe very strongly that, that, that government mandates can only stay in place for so long. We, we believe that, that individuals in Mississippi are smart. They can make good choices. They can do the things that they need to do to keep themselves, to keep their family members, to keep their neighbors safe without government telling them that they have to do it. And that's one of the things that that's the a principle that I believe in and, and something that, um, that we are going to happen here in Mississippi. We're going to make it happen. Uh, but the vast majority of Mississippians are adhering to our guidelines. Good. Uh, and lastly, as we go, and Governor Cuomo feels the same way, he has mostly positive news to say yesterday. Cut eight. Today is day 71 with a question mark. The number of hospitalizations today down. Great news. Number of intubations down. That's great news. The new COVID cases, which is a different problem than the number of people who are in hospitals. This is how many New cases are showing up every day, which has been uh, still very high, is down to 521, and that is down. 521 takes us right back to where we started this hellish journey. Okay, numbers are high. We're also testing more. You got to get a hold of the nursing home thing right now because I think half the deaths, two thirds of the deaths in New Jersey, and a third of the deaths in New York, nursing home. Take infected patients, put them back in an area, they infect everyone. Immunity's low, age is high, not a good combination. When we come back, we're going to be joined by, uh, we're going to be joined by Adam Goodman, former, uh, he is now a professor over at Tufts College, a Republican strategist and columnist. Uh, we're going to be talking about the, uh, what this all means for the 2020 election, as well as the candidacy of Justin Amash, a Trump hater on the right what it means for both Biden and Trump. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We are reaching out uh, to all registered eligible voters and giving them the opportunity and giving them the choice uh, not to feel like they have to go into a concentrated, dense environment where their health may be at risk. Yeah, there is uh, Governor Newsom saying, hey, we need mail-in voting. We don't want to give people... Uh, an option of going to vote, like they go to the food store. We know how dangerous the food store is and the pharmacy is. No, a liquor store. We know how dangerous that is. Oh, wait a second. It can't be dangerous. We're allowed to go there, but we can't go and vote. Even though you get National Guard in there to help out with distancing 
and you have built-in workers who, who understand what it's like to work for the government. Adam Goodman is a Republican strategist and columnist, and he's a partner at Ballard Partners in Washington and the first Edward R. Murrow Senior Fellow at Tufts University Fletcher School. Adam, welcome back. i got to get you to weigh in on mail-in voting. Why do, do Republicans not want it? Well, I can tell you it sounds good on paper, so to speak, but it's not really going to work in practice. Look, I'm a veteran of the 2000 recount in Florida. I saw how difficult it was in a close election to make things work when you had all sorts of different rules from 67 different election supervisors and a 537 vote final margin. Uh, What's going to happen with mail ballots is you're asking electoral supervisors all over the country, and especially, Brian, in swing states, to get right the first time out of the box a massive amount of mail-in balloting, which is not only going to tax the U.S. Postal Service. You saw there's a new postmaster general. I think the first thing the president should do is make sure he gets great media training because he's going to have a lot of questions to answer as a massive mail is coming through the U.S. Postal Service. But beyond that, you're asking electoral supervisors without equipment that they've ever had, never used to, to deal with the volume of mail that's going to come in to get it right first time out of the box. And in swing states, Brian, where we figure it's going to be close, you're talking Wisconsin, North Carolina, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and of course, my home state of Florida, if it's close and you have all sorts of questions about the legitimacy of how the processing of mail ballots took place, what's going to happen next is going to be a flurry of lawsuits and a race against the clock to declare a winner for president before we have to have the oath of office on January 20th at noon. I hear it. And Justin Amash wants to run for president. Uh, he's not going to win. I don't know anybody that likes him. Uh, what, what problem is he going to have in the three-way race? Is he going to be do better than Jill Stein? <laughs> well, Jill wasn't it, it, very memorable, other than the fact, of course, Brian, she sued uh, to have a recount in a couple of states, which was, you know, which was long after the fact and kind of silly. Amash's problem is is twofold. One, uh, he's got a record that he's going to have to defend that's not going to look very, very good. And not just the fact he was a Republican, he became an independent, he became a libertarian, and I think about 87 days. It's things like, you know, he was against the law that treats lynching as a hate crime. It poses the death penalty. He doesn't even believe in the words, in God we trust. But he is young. And the problem, I think, in this situation for Joe Biden because you have the incumbent, uh, uh, Trump, who, and this is really very much, Brian, a referendum on the incumbent. Uh, and the vote against him will now be split in two. And Biden's issue is you have Amash, who's in his 40s, who at least has the advantage of youth, against Joe Biden, whose uh, best days uh, are clearly behind him. I think that's going to hurt uh, Joe Biden keep the 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 together the protest vote or the anti-trump vote and i think in a close election that's going to be very very good for the president of the united states so the president is going to get a little bit aggressive this week uh we understand that president obama has made it clear he's going to be very aggressive for joe biden he is going to start pushing on biden's record and when it comes to florida he's going to be talking about how what Biden did with Cuba as opposed to what he did with Cuba. In Pennsylvania, he's going to be talking about Biden's recent embrace and overall embrace of the new Green Deal and what it will mean for fracking and everything else. In Pennsylvania, he's going to see the same thing, very similar. He's going to talk about the new Green Deal and fracking. So, uh, And he's going to go at Biden directly on some of his decisions. Is this smart? 
at this point? Uh, absolutely. Right now, this is it's you might say it's a it's a contest between COVID-19 and the president or it's a president versus the president. At some point, it's going to become Trump v. Biden. And as you're saying here, Biden, uh, uh, Brian, Biden's record is is really attackable. And and not just in, in the specifics in the states you mentioned, the problem he's going to have with fracking in Pennsylvania, for instance, it's irresolvable. He also has a long record where he was praising segregationists. He was all on all ends of gay marriage, cuts to Social Security, all over and both sides on abortion. He was really not sensitive to Anita Hill. And then there are the eight women, including Tara Reid, uh, who have come forward to say there are really there are real big problems in the Me Too world that we live in with Joe. So when that come right. becomes the campaign, I think you're looking at uh, a much more favorable environment for the president uh, and I think a better track for him to prevail on uh, when it's all said and done. I guess so. Uh, right now, uh, the president, I think, is going to live or die by how he responds to the pandemic and where the economy is. It's going just I don't see anything else necessarily playing that more than the 10 percent role. Do you? I don't. And I think it's going to get better for him because he's going to get he's getting on the trail. You saw what happened in Arizona last week. He's going to get on the trail. It's the comeback trail. America's comeback trail. It's hard to root against that. And if you're, if you're not rooting against that, how can you possibly find yourself rooting against the president to succeed at bringing America back? All right, Adam Goodman, uh, best of luck. Hope you guys get back in school, too, over at Tufts and around the country. Adam Goodman, thank you. When we come back, Brett Baer, then your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. China is using the exact techniques they've used in um, agriculture, in semiconductor or computer chip technology to try to steal our most cutting-edge life science uh, knowledge to include coronavirus information, whether companies are working on therapeutic drugs or vaccines. The Department of Homeland Security just issued a warning recently cautioning laboratories and companies and universities to keep their guard up for cyber theft. And of course, like the Thousand Talent programs, China runs talent programs to use human spies as well to try to steal that technology. So all of our institutions in, med- in the medical field, in the life sciences and pharmaceutical fields, need to have their guard up against Chinese espionage. And the story in the New York Times front page, the FBI and Homeland Security are preparing to issue a warning that China's most skilled hacker spies are working to deal uh, to steal America research in a crass effort to develop vaccines and treatments and beat us to the punch. Man, if that isn't a wake-up call by an unapologetic perpetrator of a worldwide pandemic, I don't know what is. Joining us now is Brett Baer, getting fired up for a brand new week. Brett, uh, how are you? Good. How are you? Good weekend. Good. I, uh, it was better. I was uh, a little bit better, uh, although it was Arctic temperatures, which was kind of interesting. Are you in Florida still? Yes. Yeah. Uh, down for the I don't know how long, uh, but um, do, do you get it's it's you get a little see. sense I mean, of freedom there? Dynamic down here. Yeah, a little bit. Do you but, get a you know, little sense? Close- Close some beaches down again after they saw a spike, I guess. And uh, so uh, they're watching it closely, I think. So uh, going back to the China situation, I think it's getting more and more serious. 
I mean, now you have that German magazine who comes out with that story, German Intelligence. It says that they have proof that uh, World Health Organization was told to keep it quiet, that this virus was uh, transferred human to human, and don't let that out. Uh, and this is other countries. Australia wants a full investigation. We obviously are, are as aggressive as I ever could remember against them. The president on Friday told us he is not sure where he stands on the China deal. He has not made up his mind yet. So much at stake. Where do you think it's yeah. going? Listen, I think that uh, it is building as far as the international consensus, um, first of all, about what China did at the beginning of the virus, and second of all, what China is doing now. And, um, you know, we saw the, the kind of vacuuming up of PPE around the world. Uh, we saw uh, what China, you know, the interaction with the WHO now they're not even being allowed in to talk, examine the, the origins of the virus. There was a complete breakdown. And now this report, and, um, and we've been hearing similar things about concern about hacking on intellectual property. China, in a lot of cases, now remember, this is the Communist Chinese Party, um, are bad actors. That's not to say that the Chinese people fall in line with all of that, but it's the Chinese, the CCP, that is really a bad actor on a number of fronts. And frankly, we don't know how many fronts that includes. Yeah, I just wonder if we're organized to get our allies in line. We saw the European Union change its communication because uh, the Chinese told them it's too harsh on the evaluation of their, uh, their actions with the spread of the pandemic, and they changed it to make it more amenable to what China wanted. But Germany's not necessarily going along with, the, uh, with that plan. And as I mentioned, Australia isn't, New Zealand isn't. And now we see, uh, we see some other countries uh, getting a little upset. I see the South China University Technology Researchers published a study back on February 6th. It concluded that the killer virus originated from the laboratory in Wuhan, Despite evidence of human-human transition, the PRC authorities said it de- uh, denied it until the January 20th. The WHO uh, does the same, and officials in Taiwan raised first concern December 31st. So uh, the first concerns in Hong Kong January 4th. So you legitimately have people besides the United States upset. The question is, would it make things worse to rupture, further rupture our relationships in a very tenuous time? Is now the time to drop the hammer is the biggest question facing President Trump. I agree with you, and that is a real big conundrum. Um, there's a number of things economically that where they obviously factor in, purchasing all kinds of material, goods uh, from the U.S., as well as farm items and from farmers, uh, crops. Uh, and then you have the interaction about trying to figure out how to get the world out of this. Um, it doesn't seem like they've been playing with the, you know, the right cards as far as being a team player. Uh, and that's to, to understate it dramatically. I mean, they've, uh, at the beginning, largely did a lot. If you look at the uh, all that's been printed about it uh, to to hide the, the beginnings of this virus. And that changed the dynamic of it. I think Germany is a big step in that, you know, they're not putting up with it. And Australia, which is really their number one trading partner, the fact that Australia is standing up, uh, you know, in the neighborhood uh, is important. 
It is. Uh, so let's look at the Michael Flynn situation. Brett, I think if I remember correctly, you got the first interview when he left uh, the DIA, yep. correct? Yes. So I, I think that people forgot how blunt and direct speaker uh, a speaker he is, how confident he is. And I think he is going to change the dynamics of this case when he can finally speak up for himself. And I almost yeah, I, wish that Adam Schiff calls him in front of Congress. Where do you think it's going? Well, I think that that's a definite possibility that he could he could speak up. I think the next step is this judge and making a decision of what, what Judge Sullivan is going to do as far as this case. I mean, if it's not being prosecuted from the DOJ point of view, where does it go? The judge could actually has a couple of options to to keep it going and to investigate the DOJ and FBI's actions. Um, that's obviously already happening in, in the investigation of what the FBI did at the beginning. Uh, so we'll see. That's the next shoe to drop. But I agree with you. I mean, back in that first interview when he leaves the DIA, that interview was about what was in the treasure trove of documents found uh, in the Al-Qaeda compound in Abbottabad when bin Laden was taken out. And if you remember, the Obama administration at the time said there was all this stuff. They had you know, a library full of documents, and then suddenly only 16, 17 documents were, were declassified, and they essentially painted bin Laden as this you know, lion that in the winter and kind of not uh, directly attributed to any of these different organizations, and that he was just an old man stuck in a in a, in a Badabad. Well, it turns out that it was much more he was much more intertwined in all the activities, and and Flynn was um, very blunt about how the Obama administration was portraying it for political reasons. That's part of it. I, I think that's a main part of it. Don't you think it's also wasn't he one of the first ones to blow the whistle that CENTCOM's intelligence was something different? It was coming out of CENTCOM was something different that was getting to the president's daily brief, and wasn't yeah. he also that, critical? Yeah, uh, of of uh, how dangerous Al Qaeda was. Period. Yeah, and how there was much more of a global reach, and there was an interconnection between all of it. And you know, Bin Laden's dead, GM is alive was the line that was heading into the Democratic convention for re-election, and that you know did not fit the narrative. So all of that other stuff, the treasure trove of documents, was locked down. Uh, some of it wasn't even translated, and um, it, it was a major kind of look back. Steve Hayes and his team did a really good job at trying to track all of those documents down, and there was a lot of stuff there that tied bin Laden and al-Qaeda to a lot of activities throughout the terrorist world. I'm just amazed. I shouldn't be, but I'm always amazed at how different the uh, Michael Flynn uh, case is being portrayed and digested. If you want to listen to, I, I feel like Michael Flynn, justice being done, he's having a chance soon to say his side, but at least somebody's going to bat for him. And we all knew, I always knew he was never a Russian agent. And it really the problem, and I think the story was in how the whole case was handled. But if you listen to the other side, that's not the case at all. For example, listen to Barack Obama, cut 20. The fact that there is no precedent that anybody can find for uh, someone who's been charged with perjury, uh, just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of stuff 
where you you begin to uh, get worried that basic, not just institutional norms, but uh, our basic understanding of, of rule of law uh, is 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 uh, is at risk. Really, basic rule of law is at risk. Yeah, I, I, I found all of that fascinating, and we're going to definitely dig into that uh, on special report uh, today. I think um, you know how far President Obama is intertwined in some of these early decisions on on that. I think is yet to be unearthed, um, and you know that is the the argument from Democrats is that you know he pled guilty to lying to the FBI. And uh, this shouldn't be shouldn't look the other way. But obviously, you look at all of the things that led up to that and all of the pressure that was put on Flynn monetary, um, his son, you know, looking to go after his son. um, And Barr comes to the conclusion that uh, justice is being served this way and that history will will remember that. Now, that was a sentence that was left out of a Sunday show analysis of it. Uh, which led to a, a tweet apology today, but um, but I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all develops and, and the early stages of what President Obama knew is going to be fascinating too. He hasn't talked out at all uh, until now. Yeah, and one thing is pretty clear. I listened to some of that call. Look at look at some of the write ups. He's it's pain, painful to listen to. He says a word every five minutes. Even Joe Biden said, "Pick it up a notch." Um, if you're going to have a conference call, please take a cup of coffee first. But here, here's with the president of the United States. I believe he, uh, Brett, I think he's going to be more active than Joe Biden. I think this is personal. I thoroughly believe it's going to be Obama, Trump and Biden will be basically the warm up act. And they just like uh, Bruce Springs used to play for Hillary Clinton's rallies to get good big fans. It's going to be Barack Obama with Joe Biden. And I think we're going to forget that Joe Biden, that Obama's not running. Well, I mean, if that's the case, it's going to overshadow in a heartbeat um, Joe Biden. And that's a risk that they're going to run. That, I mean, yes, he's a rock star on the left and and Democrats, you know, love him and his wife. But he could potentially really damage Biden as far as his independence and his ability to sell himself as the commander in chief. You got it. All right, uh, Brett, do you have, have your picture panel yet tonight? Yes, we got, uh, let's see, we have Bill Bennett, Chris Steyerwald, and Mara Eliasson, all socially nice. distanced and ready to go. It, it you know what? Your panels work. They don't necessarily have to be shoulder to shoulder. Um, all right, <laughs> hopefully the president will leave you some time tonight. You got it. All right, Brett Baird, thanks so much. Uh, I'll talk to you later in the week. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I got your emails. I understand it. We're talking about reopening the country. Uh, is now the time to blow open our relationship with China, with the global economy on on tender hooks. And finally, Michael Flynn, uh, Barack Obama weighs in. He's never seen anything such uh, such a travesty of justice before. I beg to differ. What about you? It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. one 408 7669 Just got to remind you, uh, tomorrow, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers comes out on paperback. If you want me to customize and sign it to you, uh, I'm more than happy to do it. 
Um, I also have to tell you they're doing this something for the first time. And if you go to BrianKilme.com, just click on events because I'm not traveling. No one's traveling for any type of book events. No bookstores really open outside Walmart, Kmart, Tar Target, things like that. And people are buying books. I have a virtual event. It's at 7 o'clock Central Time. Uh, there is a ticket. It's a ticketed event. Each ticket includes one paperback copy of Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. You set up a Zoom site. I can answer all your questions and interact with you uh, in this new virtual event. So go to BrianKillMe.com and sign up for it because I want it packed. It comes out of Tulsa. KRMG is setting it up. And I hope to uh, talk to everyone in Tulsa and around the country. So hopefully uh, you'll be part of that. Now, a lot of people are emailing me. And tell me how they think about what we've been talking about. It says, Brian, I'm listening to you as we speak in Pennsylvania. Please know that many companies that were given waivers, such as chosen car dealers, were donors in the Democratic Party and campaigns. I've spoken to four car dealers in my area who have had their waivers turned down, and they researched the ones that were granted, only to learn they were Democratic donors. Terrible. Peter says this over about Illinois regarding Illinois Governor J.B. Uh, Pritzker. J.P. Pritzker, keeping Illinois closed. While Illinois families are required to be stuck at home, his wife and child are in their $12 million estate in Florida, which is looser restrictions. His family does not have to suffer any consequences of his actions. Thank you for exposing that. What about all those people in rural areas? Even the cities can open up and he doesn't do it. Absolutely inexcusable, uh, but sadly it's predictable. Uh, more emails are coming in. Um, Brian, uh, met you once at the book signing and listened to your radio show on the great WNIS in Norfolk, Virginia. Good wishes to you. That's fine. The Upper Peninsula of Michigan. This comes to me from Shannon. Uh, Michigan is still closed with the stay-at-home orders that our governor continues to issue. The Upper Peninsula has reported 97 confirmed cases with 13 deaths. We have had a delay with receiving testing up here, but that being said, we are nowhere near Detroit. To put it into perspective, our state senator, M. McBroom, has explained that some of the distances from areas to the UP to Detroit, I encourage you to see the video we posted on Facebook yesterday, uh, explaining it to but summarize the video uh, to talk about the distance. It might as well be in a different country. Sherry says this, Sutton, I'm so ready to get out. I want to go out to eat. I want to go to a big wedding. I want to go to any stores, go to a hairdresser, get a massage, go to a Fourth of July festival, anything. Sherry, I hear you. And lastly, Mary says, for the first time ever, I disagree with you, Brian. I'm disappointed with your coverage of the Texas hair salon owner who went to jail. In my opinion, she disobeyed the order. I think it was a bad order. I think the, the police uh, issuing the order, maybe she shouldn't have ripped it up. But for that judge to give her jail time is absolutely ridiculous. And, uh, but I understand your point. The rules are the rules. But I also think that they're being unnecessarily locked down. You're not telling people not to rob a bank. You're telling them not to make a living. And that was the issue uh, for me. one 408 7669 As I pull up our Zoom sheet, let's go to the phones where Gene is listening on KFTK in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Gene. Good morning, Brian. Glad, I'm glad to hear you on the radio today. See, I've got two real quick things. One is... Flynn uh, was investigated as, as diligently as they did, yet when Mueller was asked about uh, the Steele dossier and all the things that were around that, he said it wasn't in his purview, which was really totally ridiculous to me. The other thing was I work in a big box store outside of St. Louis. We've not shut down a single day. We're posting record revenues, and things are going good. We have a, have a few deaths in this area, 
but it's nothing like the big cities. And that's all you hear about the big cities. You don't hear about the outlying areas. And thank you for your show. It's not fair to you guys. It's not fair to you guys. And the hospital beds are open just in case. Surge uh, resources just in case. And then let's get started. I, I rather I rather go down fighting than waiting, sitting at home, sitting in place. Hey, um, special thanks to KSWM for joining the network. AM 90 is now uh, in, in Aurora Springfield. It's the Ozarks now aboard. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.